0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs,
0: Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
1: Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us.
0: On today's program... The death of a whistleblower who was one of the few heroes in the Catholic Church clergy sex scandal. And Daystar's Marcus Lamb, who preached against the COVID vaccine, dies after becoming infected by the virus.
1: We begin today with an update on a story we've been covering for nearly a year
0: Yeah, Canna Cook Ministries was the subject of a recent investigative report by Vice Media that for the first time— publicly named one of the survivors of the sexual abuse that took place at the popular Christian summer camp. Cook and one of its counselors, Pete Newman, have been uh, involved in a number of lawsuits related to abuse that uh, Newman committed at the camp. Newman is currently serving two life sentences plus 30 years in prison. Newman's victims have been identified, though, in court records with uh, designations like John Doe. Uh, Most of them signed nondisclosure agreements to prevent them from speaking publicly. In fact, a recent television report aired on a CBS affiliate in Dallas that featured a group of survivors, but none of them were identified.
1: However, one of the survivors, Ashton Alarcon, did not sign a nondisclosure agreement, and he told his story to Vice and to Ministry Watch.
0: Yeah, Ashton was 10 years old when he first went to CannaCook and started spending time with Peter Newman. Uh, he was there from the very first moments I arrived at CannaCook. Uh, Alar Khan, who is now 26 and a third-year student at the Columbia University College of Dental Medicine, said, he helped me unload my trunk and get settled in, he told me in a telephone interview. Alar Khan said Newman carefully groomed him before abusing him. The Alarcons eventually received a financial settlement, but unlike other survivors, they refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement, even though Joe Alarcon, Ashton Alarcons' father, said Kanakook put legal pressure on them to do so.
1: Now, these incidents happened years ago. So why are the Alarcons speaking up now?
0: Well, Joe Alarcon says that claims by CannaCook leaders that these incidents happened in the past but are not a part of Canacook today are simply not credible. He said that the leadership that allowed Peter Newman to be there and sexually molest and abuse children, that leadership is still there today. Ashton Alarcon said that it has taken him many years of maturity and healing to get to the point that he could speak publicly, which is why he is talking now. I was angry at God for years. I said some nasty things to him, he told me. But my relationship with Christ is now stronger, and I think the Lord has been preparing me for this moment.
1: What did Cook have to say about the new report?
0: Well, Ministry Watch reached out to Cannecook for a reaction to the vice piece, and Cook sent this statement, which I'm going to read in full in the spirit of fairness, and uh, to give Cannecook a full opportunity to have their point of view represented. So here it goes. This has been a painful experience for all involved, none more so than those who endured abuse by Pete Newman, who still carry the tragedy of these horrific actions with them. Our hope and prayer are first and foremost for healing and restoration for them and their families we remain incredibly sorry that this happened to anyone despite our efforts we missed the warning signs preventing future abuse has become the hallmark of our camp operations with the cantacook child protection plan this comprehensive 340 point plan is more complete inclusive, and reliable than any amount of background checks, which are typically all that is employed at most youth-serving organizations. And it, it concludes with this, our commitment to safety, child safety, is resolute. As for survivors today, we remain diligent in working with all parties to find solutions that bring healing and restoration to them and their families."
1: Do you think that statement will satisfy CanaCook critics?
0: Well, uh, probably not all of them. A petition drive asking that CanaCook release survivors from the nondisclosure agreements that they signed continues to grow. That um, petition drive now has nearly 25,000 signatures. The YouTube video of the Vice Report now has just short of 150,000 page views.
1: Or in our next story is about Phil Saviano. He was a clergy sex abuse survivor and whistleblower who played a pivotal role in exposing decades of predatory assaults by Roman Catholic priests in the United States. He recently died at the age of 69.
0: Yeah, Saviano's story figured prominently in the 2015 Oscar-winning film Spotlight, which was about the Boston Globe's investigative reporting team, which was called Spotlight, that revealed how scores of priests molested children and got away with it because church leaders covered it up. Now, Phil Saviano died on Sunday after a batter with gallbladder cancer, said his brother and caregiver, Jim Saviano.
1: In late October, Phil Saviano announced on his Facebook page that he was starting hospice care at his brother's home in Douglas, Massachusetts, which is where he died.
0: Yeah, Saviano played a central role in illuminating this candle, which uh, led to the resignation of Boston's Cardinal Bernard Law and church settlements with hundreds of victims. Uh, The Boston Globe's 2002 series earned it the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service in 2003 and Spotlight, the movie, won Academy Awards for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay. Now, Phil Saviano said this, My gift to the world was not being afraid to speak out. And he certainly did speak out. And, Natasha, if I could add a personal note here, I, I need to say that the courage Phil Saviano showed not only brought to light the Catholic Church clergy sex abuse scandal, but played a role in giving courage to other whistleblowers and activists in the Boy Scout scandal and the Southern Baptist Church and elsewhere. I can also tell you that the movie Spotlight has been an inspiration to me and the work we do here Administrative Watch.
1: Warren, we need to take a break here. When we return, a tele-evangelist who was a vocal opponent of the COVID vaccine has died after being infected with the virus. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. For more information about our life saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to Savethestorks.com. That's Savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast up next we have a report on the death of marcus lamb
0: yeah marcus lamb was a prominent christian broadcaster known for his outspoken opposition to the COVID 19 vaccines but he died after contracting the virus he was 64 years old marcus lamb was a co-founder and ceo of the daystar television network which is a network popular especially with charismatic christians Daystar has broadcast a series of programs featuring vaccine skeptics. Those skeptics include Robert Kennedy Jr., Sherry Tenpenny, and Dell. Big Tree, as well as a group of physicians known as America's Frontline Doctors, who support the use of hydroxychloroquine and other alternative treatments for treating COVID 19. Now, Joni Lamb, who is Marcus Lamb's wife, said on the broadcast that her husband had diabetes and that he had been hospitalized for COVID 19 after his oxygen levels dropped. She also said that he had tried alternative treatments but did not recover. Now, we reported on Lamb's ministry earlier this year. Daystar bought a private jet not long after securing a $3.9 million loan through the Payroll Protection Plan program funded by COVID-19 relief dollars. The loan was later repaid. Now, Daystar, which is part of the Word of God Fellowship, first went on the air in 1997.
1: A federal lawsuit filed this month claims boys and young men at a church-related farm business in Pennsylvania were subjected to forced labor and punishment that included dragging chains and breaking up rocks with a hammer.
0: Yeah, the lawsuit by two former residents of Liberty Ridge, an 80-acre farm in central Pennsylvania, said that two plaintiffs were held there in violation of federal laws against human trafficking and forced into long hours of grueling work. The residents, identified only by their initials in the lawsuit, now live in New Jersey and Missouri. In Pennsylvania federal court on November 17th, they sued the Ifrata-based Eastern Pennsylvania Mennonite Church and related areas. Related areas is the church's nonprofit corporation that oversees Liberty Ridge, the Mennonite Messianic Mission, and Liberty Ridge Farm, uh, which are also in that central Pennsylvania area. Liberty Ridge was first set up in 2011 for boys and young adult men that the church considered troubled and to have spiritual, emotional, and social needs as well as behavioral problems. The plaintiffs say the farm raises chickens, beef, and pork, builds wooden pallets and fiberglass fence gates, and does interstate trucking.
1: The residents or their families had to pay around $2,300 a month, and their labor, often six long days a week, is unpaid, the lawsuit states.
0: Yeah, now those deemed to have acted uh, against the Bible or otherwise broken the farm's rules were forced to endure what they called consequences, among them being limited to rice and beans and water, digging up tree stumps by hand, and dragging chains over their shoulders, according to the lawsuit. The staff used zip to restrain residents and at times dragged residents as punishment. Now, at least that's, again, according to the plaintiff's claims. Uh, The residents allegedly were told that they would be thrown out of the church and kept from their families if they spoke of even leaving the farm. The
1: Eastern Pennsylvania Mennonite Church and Related Areas is a conservative group with dozens of congregations and thousands of members largely in Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah, it's considered one of the most conservative of the car-driving Mennonite groups. There are some groups that don't drive cars at all. This is a group that does. Uh, The complaint alleges violations of federal law against forced labor, human trafficking, and organized crime and seeks damages, unpaid wages, and other financial penalties.
1: Now, on the other side of the country, we have a similar story.
0: Yeah, a former member of a communal religious group in Portland, Oregon, is suing that church and its former pastor for sexual harassment and human trafficking, among other charges. The civil suit alleges that Jimmy Ellis Wicks, Jr., who was the lead pastor at a church called Adsidio Church, forced the victim to work without pay and also sexually abused her. A co-pastor is named as a conspirator.
1: The Living Room Coffee House, one of the several businesses collectively owned by the church members, also is named among the defendants.
0: Yeah, the Oregonian reported that the woman filed a civil suit after complaints that she and others filed with the Portland police about the pastor failed to result in any criminal charges. Uh, Police reports show the case was referred to the State Department of Human Services and victim advocates. The suit seeks compensation for unpaid labor from 2015 through 2021, $50,000 for future medical expenses, and $1.5 million in non-economic damages.
1: or let's look at one more story before the break. It's the strange story of a minister who has been on the run for 20 years.
0: Yeah, this story really caught my attention. Uh, a convicted sex offender on the run from Indiana since 2001 has been found and arrested in Birmingham, Alabama, where he's been a music minister at a church for the last 10 years. Now, Larry Albert Flake, 75 years old is the man's name. He was charged 20 years ago uh, with the 1999 assault of a 15-year-old girl in Richmond, Indiana, which is near the Ohio border. Now, Flake was a repeat offender, and he failed to show up for his trial. He was convicted in his absence of sexual conduct with a minor and sentenced then to 25 years in prison.
1: I understand that Flake had been living in Birmingham under an assumed name.
0: Yeah, his assumed name was Larry White, and he was known locally simply as Reverend White of True House of Prayer Missionary Baptist Church, that according to the FBI. Police officials said that they received a new lead in the case back in January of this year, and that eventually led to them finding Flake.
1: Well, Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have
0: first? Well, it's a new month, and we have a couple of new lists. First up is our list of the top 10 stories of the month of November. If you want to see the entire list, you'll need to go to our website, ministrywatch.com. But I will tell you that Dallas, Texas's Village Church, Franklin Graham's Heart Surgery, and the departure of World Magazine's Marvin Olasky all made our list of top 10 stories. The number one story, though— was the report that we published on St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. In fact, I suspect that will end up being one of our top stories of the year, which, by the way, we'll publish at the end of this month.
1: Now, you said you had a couple of lists. What's the other one?
0: Well, every December, we publish a list of shining light ministries. These are ministries that you might say are among the best of the best. They have a five-star financial efficiency rating from Ministry Watch, and they also have an A transparency grade, our two top ratings, of the 1,000 thousand ministries in the Ministry Watch 1000 database. Only 62 ministries meet both of these criteria. We publish this list as a guide to year-end giving for those who want to give to ministries that are among the best performers in their respective categories. I hope you'll check out that list, and you'll be generous with your giving this December.
1: And finally, Warren, what ministries did Christina Darnell highlight in the Ministries Making a Difference column?
0: Well, I want to focus on one in particular, the Free Burma Rangers. They purchased and distributed food supplies for over 400 refugee families just last week alone. Free Burma Rangers, under the nonprofit umbrella Free the Oppressed, is a humanitarian organization that works in high-conflict areas such as Burma, Iraq, and Syria. Their programs include frontline relief, human rights, and conflict monitoring. Its relief teams provide critical emergency medical care, shelter, food, clothing, and human rights documentation to oppressed people. And I should add that Free Burma Rangers is one of those 62 ministries that I just mentioned that are a part of this year's Shining Light Awardees.
1: That's wonderful. Do you have any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, yeah, I want to thank everyone who made a gift to Ministry Watch on Giving Tuesday. We had a goal of $10,000 for Giving Tuesday and $20,000 for the month of November. We still have a few paper checks trickling in, but it looks like we made both goals. And I must say that for a little organization like ours, that's a pretty big deal. If you made a gift, thank you. It's also not too late to Support us in this calendar year. December is the biggest month of the year for most nonprofits, and I can tell you that that will be the same for us too. It'll be kind of a make or break month for us. We raised $42,000 last December, and we'll need to do that or even a little bit more this year to stay on budget. So I hope you'll consider a gift to Ministry Watch during the month of December.
1: Anything else?
0: Yeah, if you're a subscriber to the podcast, you probably already know that our extra episode this week was a bit different. It was a conversation between Christina Darnell, our managing editor, and me. Uh, We discussed some of the most common questions that I get here at Ministry Watch, and if you haven't listened to that episode, I sure hope you will. And if you're a fan of what we do here and you want to share our work with others, this episode might be a good place to start. It's, a, it's an introduction to our work, including how and why we do what we do. So I hope you'll both listen and share that special Ministry Watch Extra episode.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosl and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Gutterd, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include William J. Cole, Mark Sculforo, and Stike, Bob Spitana, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.